Hey folks, it's Weingart here, and we have a great topic to talk about. But before we do, I should tell you that Smack Gold registration has just opened up, so go immediately to smack.net.au and register because the workshops are filling up fast. And I realize I've been hyping this so hard that I should make a disclaimer. I get no money from the Smack conference. They're bringing me over as a speaker, so they pay my travel and registration, but I'm not taking a cut. So the reason I'm hyping it so hard is because I think it's great, not because I have conflict of interest. Okay. Enough of that. Let's get to the topic at hand. I was going to do the real vasopressor show, but there's just so much that I'm just not quite ready yet. So what I figured I'd speak about instead is peripheral vasopressors and extravasation injury. And uh, this is kind of a lead-in topic to the eventual full-on vasopressor show. And this is a really good topic because I was sent an article by Mike the Rock Stone. And he asked me to take a look at it and uh, see what my opinion is on it. And the article is entitled Central or Peripheral Catheters for Initial Venous Access of ICU Patients. And it's by a gentleman named Ricard. He's French, so I might be mispronouncing that, but it's, it's something that sounds like that. And this was kind of amazing. It was a randomized controlled trial. Uh, where they randomized patients to either get central lines or peripheral IV catheters, and then they uh, figured out how they did. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is it was an intention-to-treat analysis, which means if you were in the peripheral group and then needed a central line, you were still considered a peripheral grouper for the purposes of analysis. So if there was a complication from your central line placement and you were in the peripheral group initially, uh, then that was blamed on the peripheral IVs, even though a peripheral IV, as far as I know, um, cannot cause a pneumothorax, though my residents are quite crafty, so they may find a way. So it, with that in mind, the actual results were there were less complications in the central line group than the peripheral IV group. And then the, the conclusion of the trial was uh, maybe you should just start off with central lines because there's less complications. But when you really dive in, the complications were not actual complications that we would consider as such. For instance, the most frequent complication in the peripheral IV group was the inability to insert peripheral IVs. So if you can't get a peripheral IV, then obviously you, you would go to central axis, but that's not really a complication in my mind. But the complication that I was particularly interested in is there were a, a reasonable number of patients who had extravasation injuries, or they, uh, I think in the study called it subcutaneous diffusion. Now, this is super exciting to have because we don't have much evidence on this. And these patients uh, were not excluded for being on vasopressors. Uh, quite the contrary. A bunch of them were getting up to 33.3 micrograms per minute of norepinephrine or epinephrine or uh, equivalent doses of dopamine. So these guys were on high-dose pressors before they would get excluded. So now we finally have a study that will show us, is it safe to give vasopressors through a peripheral IV for some period of time. And so there were 19 patients who had these subcutaneous diffusion injuries. Now, nowhere in the original trial or in the supplement was any word on what happened to these patients. And that, that's a crucial piece of information to my mind if you want to use this trial for what I do, which is to answer, is this cool to give IV peripheral vasopressors? So I wrote to the author, and he was quite generous, uh, replied back, and said that, no, these guys all did fine. We just observed them. None of them needed skin grafts. None of them needed uh, complicated management strategies. Uh, they, they all just did fine. Now, I don't know if these guys got fentolamine. Uh, in fact, I will write back to the author and find out about that, because that's an interesting question as well. But they did okay. So this is super interesting to me. So then the question is, can we use peripheral lines for vasopressors? Now, my friend Paul Mayo, who you've heard uh, the two of us debate on the podcast a whole bunch, he says definitively yes. In fact, he's uh, moved away from using central lines in his unit uh, 
almost exclusively. Uh, they're just using peripheral IVs or midlines, which we'll talk about momentarily, for pretty much everything, whether it be vasopressors or not. And then they're therefore avoiding the problems with central line infections and all the complications of central lines. And uh, he's, he's had good luck with that. Uh, I met a gentleman named Rob Green, who is a Canadian uh, ED intensivist, and he also believes that there's no need for central lines for vasopressor infusions. And he discussed a uh, review of all the world literature to try to figure out how many reported complications there's actually been. So look out for that article. That should be coming out soon. Now, I know definitively that vasopressors peripherally can cause problems. I, I know this because somehow I've become a medical legal expert witness on this topic through no act of my own, but I've defended or uh, researched the defense of a bunch of cases on extravasation injuries from peripheral vasopressors. And so you definitely can have badness happen. Now, uh, we don't know the rate of that badness. That's the problem. That's the problem with case reports in the literature. That's the problem with uh, closed claim uh, suits is that they never really make it to the light of day. So all of the vasopressors that we use commonly probably could cause extravasation injuries. Now, the one that gets the worst rap is norepi. And, you know, there's been cases of people losing hands, people needing, you know, skin grafting operations, people uh, actually having arm amputations, especially in little babies. I'm, so norepi has a bad rap, and it, it definitely could do all the things that people have said it can. Uh, now, it turns out dopamine is just as bad. I, there's this ridiculous myth that has been perpetrated in medicine, and I don't know where it comes from, that dopamine is safe peripherally and norepi is bad. They're both as bad as each other. Both of them can cause problems. Both of them probably don't very often. Vasopressin can cause extravasation injury. I have a couple articles in the show notes for that. I've yet to see any reports of phenylephrine extravasation injury. It doesn't mean it can't happen, and someone might send me an article, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Uh, but I think of all of them, it's probably the safest, and it actually is approved for subcutaneous injection. So that may be the least likely, but I'm sure someone's going to send me a case of it, and it's just natural. All these things could cause problems. We just don't know how often. If they can cause problems, does that mean we shouldn't use them? And the, I think the answer is not necessarily. Now, a lot of people have moved to I.O. to fix this situation. I don't think that's a great fix. I love I.O.s when I can't get an IV line immediately for a patient who needs immediate intubation or they need a, a drug that just has to be provided right now, but then I, I like to convert them to something else. I don't like the I.O.s because they're so deep, I can't see what's going on. And if there is extravasation injury, it's not going to be a deep extravasation, not a superficial extravasation like with a peripheral IV. And so badness can ensue. It usually doesn't. If you have a nice, deep, properly sized I.O. needle, uh, it's probably going to be okay. But I, I don't continue resuscitation with I.O.s. And there's been a big push by these companies to convince people of that. And they've been putting a lot of money into uh, funded studies and advertising campaigns and door-to-door uh, -door farm rep, or I guess manufacturer rep, uh, selling of this concept that we just should be using I.O.s for any, everything. And I really don't buy that. Now, what I do buy are midlines. And uh, for folks that haven't heard of midlines, midlines are like picks, you know, peripherally inserted central catheters um, in that they go into one of the arm veins, but instead of extending past the arm into the central circulation, they stop short of that. So they're, you know, usually around six, eight inches long, and they're inserted with needle, wire, catheter. And as such, the puncture site is nowhere near the site of the administration of the medication. And these are more durable than the peripheral IVs, and yet uh, don't actually hit your central circulation, have a lower complication rate. I don't know what the infection rate is going to turn out to be. I would guess it's probably lower than a central catheter, uh, but I don't have definitive evidence on this. These are kind of new in terms of uh, regular use, so we'll see. But I think this is brilliant for an ED or critical care unit that just needs a uh, 
short course of vasopressors. And of course, uh, another option is always the push dose pressors, which I have linked to in the show note. We've talked about the possibility that it may be safe to give peripheral vasopressors. We've also said there's definitely a potential for badness to ensue, an extravasation injury that may cause loss of tissue, needing skin grafts, amputation, blah, blah, blah. So if we're going to set up a regimen of using peripheral vasopressors, then we have to be prepared for extravasation injury. And that's the way I would play this is let's do this, but let's know it's slightly risky and therefore be prepared for any badness. So let's talk about how to prepare for extravasation injury from vasopressors. So let's first talk about prevention. I would not personally be doing this through anything in the hand or wrist because the the potential stakes for badness is so high if there is any extravasation. You do not want someone losing a hand. If they have to get a skin graft on the middle of their forearm, yeah, they're going to be annoyed, but you know, it, it's it's only a matter of cosmesis as opposed to not being able to do their job anymore. So, no hand or wrist IVs for me. Next up, ultrasound guided IVs that are crappy. And I, I think anyone who's done these knows what I mean. There's the ultrasound guided IV where you pop it in one shot and you advance the needle just a little bit more and the catheter advances from that needle on the first push of it and all's well in the world and it's just very satisfying. Those are fine. And then there's the ultrasound guided IV where you've poked around for a bunch. Maybe you've backwalled that vessel and then had to pull the needle back before the catheter would advance or you did something crazy like advance the catheter and nothing came out. So you put the needle back in and pull back on the needle and catheter and now there's flow. Stuff like that uh, should not be used for vasopressors. Uh, these oftentimes look great for the first 10 minutes and then they blow. And this is a really bad idea because those ultrasound guided IVs as opposed to normal ones are deep and the extravasation injury could go on much, much longer before anyone notices. And there's a lot of uh, potential space there so the pump's not gonna start alarming for pressure limits uh, as soon as it would for the peripheral IV. This is a way to really have bad stuff happen. So yes, IV by ultrasound, great, and I use them all the time, but they better be good ones. Now, uh, along that same lines, uh, some of the nurses at Janus General are fantastic at IVs. And then there are some that seemingly have learned as a standard uh, way they do it that they backwall the vessel, they pull back until they get flow again and advance the catheter. And that's the way they do IVs. And I see this all the time and I cringe because that's going to blow. It's a ticking time bomb. I don't know when, I don't know where. And if you send that patient to CT and they get their contrast load, those are the ones that come back with their arm the size of the puff marshmallow man. You know, those are not how you're supposed to start IVs. It's supposed to be the same thing I mentioned with the ultrasound. It's supposed to be uh, one shot, you get your flash into the flash chamber, you advance a tiny little bit and advance the catheter in one shot. And so crappy IVs should not be used for peripheral vasopressors. Now, I had mentioned the midlines, and this is a good place to talk about it. What these midlines allow is, uh, let's say you did one of those ultrasound guided sticks and you get your needle in there and you had to mess around a bit and go through the back wall of the vessel and now you come back into the vessel. Well, what you're going to do now is you're going to put a wire through it and then advance a long catheter, you know, many inches away from that puncture site. And you're going to probably be beyond a couple set of valves in that vein. You absolutely could use a midline for that. And it makes a lot more sense to me than using a peripheral IV and the other thing about these midlines is you could actually convert a peripheral IV to a midline, you know, as long as that IV was put in with reasonable sterile technique and you re-sterilize the entire area. So what you can do is you have a good peripheral IV and 
now you're deciding they need vasopressors, you could convert that to a midline and now have uh, an additional barrier of safety between you and extravasation. I should go back just a little bit and say, uh, I said avoid the hand and wrist. Uh, in the literature, and I'm not sure about this, but I just want to put it out there, they also say to avoid the AC fossa, the antecubital fossa. And the reason for that is there's not much soft tissue coverage there compared to the rest of the arm. But yet, most of the IVs we get on patients that are hard to stick are in that AC fossa. So just be aware that's out there. I wouldn't necessarily not put vasopressors through there, but I just want to make sure it's a good IV if I'm going to use that. And what you might want to do for any of these you're going to use for vasopressors is just take, you know, a couple 10cc flushes and hit those IVs hard. You know, really slam them and see what happens because that will oftentimes reveal a blowing IV. And if you have a ultrasound guided IV that you didn't place yourself and you're not sure about it, what you could also do is just take that uh, high frequency linear probe, put it where you think the tip of that IV is and give that 10 cc flush and see if there's any swirling bubbles outside the actual vein itself. That will alert you to the fact that it's extravasating into the deep tissue that IV was placed in. All right, next up, you need to have protocolized extremity checks. If you're gonna do this, if you're gonna run peripheral vasopressors, you have to have some reasonable amount of time that nursing or someone is coming along to the bedside and looking at that arm, looking at the pump, making sure everything's okay. My personal opinion, and I have no evidence for this, should be you should get Q30 minute checks of that extremity. And that should be protocolized, meaning, you know, there's a box or something in the chart that gets checked off saying it's done. Otherwise, ED gets chaotic, ICU gets chaotic, and those don't happen. The same way we do neurovascular checks in uh, potentially injured extremities, the same way we do neuro checks, there should be extremity checks for these peripheral vasopressors. Now, someone might write and say, nah, we do this every hour, it's fine. Okay, I'll buy that. But And if people have protocols for this, please send them, and I'll put them in the actual show notes. Next up, you need the antidote, and we'll talk about what that antidote is in just a sec. Here's a hint, it's fentolamine available. And I, I would personally say, put it at the bedside for anyone getting peripheral vasopressors. You know, tape it to the little protocol. And that way, uh, the pharmacy doesn't call you back and say, oh, we ran out of that. Sorry. Um, because you want to have this stuff at the bedside for immediate use if there is an extravasation. And last but not least, I will mention this, and I'm looking for the study that proves this. It's in the package insert of fentolamine that you could add 10 milligrams per liter of fentolamine to a norepinephrine solution with no effect on its vasopressor potential, and yet a uh, huge safety margin if there is extravasation. And again, I have no proof that's true. I'm sure the article's out there or else it wouldn't have made it into the package insert, but I would love to have that article to add to the show notes as well. So if anyone has that article, send it. But supposedly you could prevent norepinephrine extravasation problems by adding fentolamine to the bag. And that would be cool if it turns out to be true. Okay, so you were running your peripheral dopamine and because uh, I, I hate dopamine. And now all of a sudden you realize, huh, the patient's blood pressure's down. You look at the area where the IV is, it's obviously blown. There's a big raised area and it's all white from the constrictive effects of the vasopressor agent that ex extravasated. What do you do now? Well, step one is finding the patient alternative access, even if that means putting in an IO so that they could continue getting their vasopressors and maintain their blood pressure. So that's step one. Step two is do not pull out that cannula yet. I mean, stop anything from going through it, but do not pull it out yet because what you want to do is you want to suck out through that cannula as much of the drug as possible. So get a syringe, attach it, and suck out as much blood that's going to contain the drug as you possibly can. And then step four is you want to give the antidote. Now, the antidote to any vasopressor extravasation is fentolamine mesylate. And I think in the U.S., the brand name is Regitine. I hate using brand names. We use generics, but that's what it's called. 
And what you want to do is you want to inject the area with phentolamine. Now, it comes, at least in the U.S., and I think this is everywhere, 5 milligrams per cc with 1 cc in the vial. So 5 milligrams per vial. You want to take uh, a 10 cc saline flush, knock out one of those cc's. So now you have 9 cc's of saline, and just draw up that cc of phentolamine and shake the hell out of it. Then you want to inject uh, 0.1 to 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. Um, and in most patients, that's going to come out to 5 to 10 milligrams. So 1 to 2 vials of this should be injected in the area depending on how big it is. I give my first injection through the actual IV catheter itself. So I'll give maybe three or four cc's into the area of the catheter because I know that's where the drug is. Then you want to give the rest using like a 25 gauge needle all along the edges of the wound. You know, you inject about four times into the edges of the wound and try to get it, you know, from the edge into further uh, into the area. And what you should see is that the area that was blanched should immediately turn nicely perfused. If it doesn't, if you wait a couple minutes and there's no effect, you probably should give another dose. Now, the phentolamine, given subcutaneously, can have some degree of systemic absorption, so they might have some hypotension. That's okay. They should still be on the vasopressor through another site. The last step is, and I would tell you to do this, consult plastic surgery or whoever handles this kind of soft tissue stuff in your hospital. Even if it looks okay, just let them know. They don't have to come down right now, though uh, in a bad injury, they probably should. They need to round on this patient. They need to make some recommendations. Um, it's all voodoo as to whether these should be elevated or put dependent, whether they should get hot or cold, and you just go with whatever the plastic surgeons say. But once these extravasation injuries do happen, if the antidote does not work, there can be badness, and a lot of the badness from my experience, can be avoided by having plastics on board right away. Just let them know about the patient. Let them put them on their service rounds so that they could weigh in and they could act early. Because if you call them two days after this happens, once the area has become necrotic, there is absolutely nothing they could do at that point. So uh, some of that is evidence-based, some of that is opinion, and so take it as you will. Now, other non-vasopressor agents, for instance, the big one in my mind is extravasation of calcium chloride. Uh, there is no antidote. For those you actually want to wash out the area, and you want to wash it out by breaking down um, the soft tissue barriers that are keeping this drug from being washed out. And for that, you'd use an agent called hyaluronidase. And I have a protocol for that in the show notes. I'm not going to go through it here, um, but I have done this before. In fact, I used to do this for vasopressors too, but it seems most of the recommendations now are just go stick with the phentolamine. Though if I had a huge area and the phentolamine is not causing that skin to stop blanching, I probably would do the washout technique that is there as well. So I think we're right at the 20-minute mark or close to it. So let's sum it all up. We now have a randomized controlled trial saying that, and the, the numbers aren't huge, but they're, they're reasonable, saying that it may be safe to give peripheral vasopressors for some period of time, even at very high doses, up to 30-something micrograms per minute of norepi and epi and can, equivalent doses of dopamine. So now you actually have some support saying this may be safe. Now, it better be a damn good IV. I personally, if I'm going to do this, would convert these over to a midline. And uh, I should say, if you don't have these formal midline kits, uh, a pediatric IJ catheter or a femoral A-line has all the stuff that it would take to convert a peripheral IV into uh, one of these longer catheters. So those are there available to you, and both of those work nicely. We've done that before. So midlines may be a nice way to go for this. Very rarely will you have an extravasation, but if you do, treat it. Treat it. Even if the area looks small, even if uh, it's okay. Um, if you know that some of these vasopressors have gotten into the subcutaneous tissue, the phentolamine is safe 
and I would advocate treating. And you're going to look much better off if there's any problem later on, and you're going to do well by your patient. The way you treat vasopressor extravasation is, when, is with fentolamine. It is a blocker of the vasoconstriction. It's an alpha blocker. So do it. And the technique is there in the show notes. Scott Weingart for the MCRIT Podcast saying bye-bye.